History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 421st episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are going to feature two plantations, both of which were suggested by Yvette Tan. She visited both of them at the same time because they're located in the same city. And that is the Laura Plantation and Oak Alley Plantation. I love me some plantations. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew... Michelle with two L's, Emma, Abby, Amanda I.M. and Amanda F.A., Chris with a C.H., Jody with two E's at the end, Christy with a C.H., and Maureen. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by none other than Jared Rang. Johnny Cash was known as the Man in Black, so why wouldn't scientists name an all-black tarantula after him? Tarantulas are some of the most unique spiders in the world, and there are about 29 species of them in the United States. They belong to the genus Aphonopelma, and 14 of the species in America are entirely new to science, with Aphonopelma Johnny Cashy being one of them. This variety was discovered around 2015. Most male Johnny Cashy tarantulas are black in coloration, hence the inspiration for the name. Also, the scientist who discovered the species, Dr. Chris Hamilton, said the species is mainly found near Folsom Prison in California. And who doesn't know the tune, Folsom Prison Blues, made famous by Johnny Cash? The Johnny Cashy tarantula is pretty cool, but naming a spider after a famous musician certainly is odd. And I do have to add... The boys have several tarantulas in their possession, and Austin is planning on purchasing another one this very weekend. And I'm so thrilled since I love spiders. (laughs) Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. of February, on the 16th in 1894, gunslinger John Wesley Harden is pardoned. Harden was an infamous gunslinger who was thought to have killed at least 40 people in his time. His first murder was at the age of 15, and the victim was an ex-slave. Harden went on the run, but was eventually arrested in Waco, Texas, oddly for a crime he hadn't committed. He escaped and ran to his friend Wild Bill Hickok, who ran Abilene, Texas. Harden found more trouble here when he shot through his hotel room wall to stop another guest snoring 
that it awakened him. <laughs> That's one way to handle it, I guess. I usually just push you. Yeah. Well, I, I would hope you would not shoot me. <laughs> the shots killed the man and Harden was on the run again. He finally ended up in Florida where he shot another man and was arrested. He was spared the gallows and given a life sentence, which he served 15 years of before being pardoned. He moved to El Paso and became what else? A lawyer. His past caught up to him, though, and he was shot in the back and killed in a revenge murder. Traveling through the swamplands of Louisiana is an adventure, not only through nature, but through history. The dank, humid air and large oaks filled with Spanish moss add an air of the creepy. So much is haunted here. These swamplands were once dotted with large plantations, and some of them still exist today. Laura Plantation and Oak Alley Plantation are found near Vachery, Louisiana. Today, they are museums that one can explore and possibly interact with a few ghosts. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Laura and Oak Alley Plantations. Vachery, Louisiana doesn't have a whole lot of information on it, Kelly. I have no idea when it was founded, who founded it. I just know that it's part of the St. James Parish, and it's located about an hour away from New Orleans. The small town was used as a location for filming the series True Detective. The name means cowshed in French, or what we would prefer, dairy farm, and is home to several former plantations. Little has changed here, and most people who live here were born in the area and never leave. I was reading an article about it, and 80% of the people who live there were born and raised and live there. Wow. It's very unusual for, you know, most most people move a lot. Most people are familiar with the tale of Br'er Rabbit because of Disney's movie Song of the South and the amusement park ride Splash Mountain, which was inspired by the movie. What most people probably don't know is that the tales about Br'er Rabbit were brought over to America from Senegal by slaves and made known to the rest of the world by a neighbor of the Laura Plantation named Alcy Fortier. He visited the plantation in 1870 and recorded the stories of the freedmen still working on the plantation after the Civil War. These stories were passed down in the Creole language. They featured the clever rabbit and the stupid fool, said in Creole as Compare Lapin and Compare Buki. Br'er Rabbit is indeed a trickster in the stories. These stories were published by Fortier in 1894 as Louisiana folk tales in French dialect and English translation. Eventually, they would be adapted into the stories that Disney used for their movie. Have you ever seen Song of the South? Of course. And I used to read the book to my kids all the time when they were little. Yeah, I finally had a friend who had a bootleg copy. And so I watched it probably about seven years ago. But before the stories and before the plantation, there was a large Acola Pisa village here. It was named Tascapania, meaning Long River View, and dated to the early 1700s. There were ceremonial mounds built high above the river, and huts were placed at higher elevations as well. This was a small, obscure Native American group that lived in Louisiana and Mississippi, and are believed to have spoken a Muskegon language called Mobilian. They disappeared as they merged into other tribes, but a remnant did stay here and would live on part of the plantation until 1915. I thought that was fascinating. Wow. Because as I was looking into who these were, because I'd never heard of them before, 
And they're like, you know, they merged with this group and they merged with that group. And eventually they just kind of disappeared. But they're like, there was a group of them still on the plantation. And I'm like, up until 1915, that's amazing. It is. A little side story here told by the plantation website says that in the mid-1700s, a Catholic missionary came and chopped down the Acola pieces 14-foot-high red-painted totem. The priest was upset because the totem was what he thought or equated to an erect phallus. Okay. This totem pole, as the website put it, was called a Baton Rouge, which means red stick. So for those of you living in Baton Rouge, well, um... (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Actually, legend claims Baton Rouge got its name from a cypress pole that was stained red with blood that marked a boundary on hunting grounds between Native American tribes. But I just thought that that was kind of a fun little add-on there. And this city is about, they say, halfway between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Betchery. Acadian refugees settled here in 1785. They had been run out of Canada by the British in a violent and harsh expulsion. People were burned from their homes, and some were killed. And this is considered a crime against humanity in line with genocide. The Acadians found refuge in Louisiana, and it is from them that we get the Cajun culture. The word Acadian became the word Cadian, which became Cajun. A large area that the Acadians occupied became part of the Laura Plantation. Guillaume Benjamin de Maizière Dupar was the first owner of the Laura Plantation, and so it was first called the Dupar Plantation, or more specifically, El Habitation de Par. And I'm sure I said all of that horribly because I do not speak French. He had been granted the large tract of land by Thomas Jefferson in 1804 for his service during the Revolutionary War. The largest building on the property was the Big House, which was built with slave labor and completed in 1805. There was a raised brick basement, and the house was built in a U-shape with a central courtyard flanked on either side by wings. That raised brick basement means that the house was raised high above the ground, supported by blue-gray glazed brick columns and walls. There was an eight-foot-deep pyramidal brick foundation underground. A separate kitchen building was behind the house. Much of the house was prefabricated and made from wood and done in the Creole architectural style, but it had unique elements. There was federal-style interior woodwork and a Norman roof truss. There were no hallways, just two rows of five rooms that opened into each other. The interior was plastered and the outside was stuccoed and covered in several bright hues of red, ochre, pearl, and green, which they maintain today, and it's a very cool, colorful-looking house. The 24,000-square-foot house was surrounded by a white picket fence encompassing a large yard for entertainment. The property also had a dairy, smokehouse, blacksmith shop, and overseer cabins. Dupar continued to buy more land until the property covered 12,000 acres. The Mississippi River was only 600 feet away. The main crop was sugarcane, but the land also produced pecans, rice, and indigo. Slave cabins lined a dirt road behind the plantation house, and this road led to a sugar mill about a mile away. Two families would share a cabin with doors for privacy, and they shared a central fireplace. The cabins each had their own gardens and chicken coops or pig pens. There were 69 cabins in all, with a separate communal kitchen building and an infirmary. At its height before the Civil War, the plantation had around 186 slaves. The way they describe these cabins... I don't know if this was the case on most plantations, but it was like they had their own little city back there. It was kind of self-contained and took care of itself and everything. Sounds that way. Dupar lived at the plantation for four years before he died in 1808, and the property passed to his daughter Elizabeth Dupar. She had married George Raymond LeCoul, so the plantation became the property of the LeCoul family, 
and eventually passed to Laura McCool Gore, who was the fourth mistress of the plantation. She ran it as a sugarcane plantation, and the name of the plantation comes from her first name. So that's why it's called Laura Plantation. She wrote the memoir, Memories of the Old Plantation Home, a Creole family album, which wasn't published until 2000. So apparently this is something she wow. kept for years, and they finally got around to putting it out there. Florian Waguspak bought Laura Plantation in 1891 and continued the production of sugarcane on the farm. After about a century of production and occupation, the main house and gardens were in disrepair. So the Laura Plantation Company, LLC, was established and acquired 14 acres that included the main house and other outbuildings in 1993. Restoration was done to the French parterre garden, a pecan orchard, the roads and fences, a potager planted adjacent to the original kitchen, and vegetable plots were replanted near the surviving slave cabins. Today, the big house no longer has the back wings, and a back kitchen wing had been added off the back porch. Six of the slave quarters still remain, and there's a second house known as Maison de Reprise, which was built for the first female president of the Dupar Plantation. The plantation was listed on the National Register of Historic Places and is a museum that can be toured that houses many of the family heirlooms from over the years. A fire in 2004 damaged 80% of the big house and completely destroyed the newer kitchen wing, which was not rebuilt. The rest of the house was restored in 2006. The Dupar family were Creole and the plantation celebrates this heritage. Creole was about culture, not race, so many different groups are also considered Creole whether they were enslaved or free blacks, white European immigrants, Native American or Acadian descendants. To be Creole meant that you were probably born in Louisiana, spoke Spanish, French, and or Creole, and practiced the Catholic faith. French was the main language, though, with most Creoles having that as their first language. This culture was very different from the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture that made up most of America. The Creole culture faltered when public education was mandated in 1916 and schools were segregated, and the French language was deemed a foreign language and English became the mandatory language. The Jim Crow laws of the 1960s further divided the Creoles into separate segregated groups. Much is still lost today, but a resurgence in Creole food, music, folklore, architecture, and traditions has taken place. And Creole was not limited to America. Brazil and the Guianas are recognized as Creole countries, and many islands in the Caribbean are saturated with Creole culture. Plantations conjure conflicting emotions. On one hand, there are beautiful landscapes crowned with gorgeous homes. On the other is a repressive past that found men, women, and children enslaved based merely on their circumstance of birth. Many plantations were host to cruelty and witnessed the violence of war and rebellion. Some groups believe these plantations should all be raised. But do these homes simply bear the sins of their owners, or can they be a place of healing? For us, as is the case for all history, whether good, bad, or somewhere in between, there is always value. And when considering the spirits that still remain, simply erasing the past may not serve whatever their connection to the property may be. Laura Plantation is no different than many of the other plantations in the South. Nearly all have ghost stories connected to them. Laura Plantation doesn't seem to want to embrace those stories, but that doesn't make the ghosts disappear. So that's basically my way of saying I couldn't find anything on hauntings at this place. But Yvette did get some information about it, and she actually wrote a blog post about it, and I've linked to it in our show notes. As I'd said, she had visited Laura Plantation, and she wrote, I began to get a headache as the tour group moved from a bedroom to the dining room the sensation going away after we exited the house through the kitchen. 
I thought nothing of it. Later, as the group rested underneath a covered bridge on the property, I asked if anyone had experienced anything supernatural in the area. The guide said that though they weren't allowed to say anything, there have been reports of one of the slaves, sort of like the mayor doma or manager, appearing in the dining room. Imagine the coincidence. So the same area that she got the headache feeling is where they see this spirit. Here we have the guide saying they're not allowed to talk about the stuff. Boy, do they keep a tight lid on it because, I mean, I literally couldn't find anything. I was just like, ah. Activity in the home seemed to pick up after the fire and remodeling. People who walk the ground say they never feel alone. As I said, other than that little bit of information, that's all we got for that. There's no paranormal investigations that are allowed there. The same can't be said of Oak Alley Plantation. And that seems to have at least four apparitions on the grounds. Oak Alley Plantation is less than four miles away from Laura Plantation and is known as the Grand Dame of the Great River Road. No one knows for sure who planted the huge hundred-year-old oaks that line the 800-foot path up to the plantation. There are 28 of them spaced 80 feet apart. They predate the plantation by at least 100 years. Historians believe that Oak Alley got its name from riverboat captains who saw the alley formed by the oaks and gave the landmark the navigational nickname. A French Creole named Valcour Ami purchased the land here in 1830 and established a sugarcane plantation. He named it the Bon Sejour Plantation, meaning good or pleasant stay. And Ami became one of the wealthiest men in the South, acquiring the nickname King of Sugar. Valcour Ami had a brother-in-law named Jacques Telesphore Roman, who also owned a plantation, and in 1836, the men exchanged property. Roman would be the one to build a mansion here, and it was constructed with slave labor. The house was completed in 1839. He might have been the king of sugar, but I think I'm the queen, because I sure love my candy. (laughs) Even after a breakfast of eggs, you have to have something sweet afterward. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Every time I have something to eat, I have to have something sweet afterward. I'm sure that's where dessert comes from. People just have a need for sugar after they eat. I don't know. (laughs) Well, the dogs always know when you're hitting the Rice Krispie treats right after breakfast. They run over there and just wait because they know that's where you're headed. (laughs) I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm doing this too often because now it's become a thing for them. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode brought to you by Surfshark. Oh, no, not again. Kelly, is there a poltergeist messing around in the studio again? We just had the place exercised. Everything seems to be clear to me. What's wrong? Well, I was trying to watch this video and I got a message that the video is not available in our location. Oh, That happens to a lot of people, probably to our listeners, too. You know, a VPN is the solution for this problem. A virtual poltergeist negator? (laughs) No, a virtual private network. A VPN not only increases online privacy, which we all need, and helps avoid hackers, but it also helps to access entertainment. Content can be limited by geographic location, and a VPN can change your virtual location. Then we can forget about restrictions and censorship. Awesome. So if we can't find what to watch on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and all the other streaming platforms, we can use a VPN to unlock new libraries. 
Yep. And if you can't watch certain videos on YouTube, you can just connect with a different location using a VPN. Works for using a school or office network, too. If there's certain websites you can't access, just use a VPN. And I have the perfect one for that. Surfshark. Oh, that even sounds cool. Try Surfshark risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash bump. Enter promo code bump, B-U-M-P, for 83% off and three extra months free. That's right, three extra months for free. I'm heading over to surfshark.deals slash bump right now. Um, I might be wrong about there not being a poltergeist in the studio, though. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash bump. Enter promo code bump for 83% off and three extra months for free. The mansion was built by George Sweeney in the Greek Revival architectural style with a square floor plan. A central hall runs through the middle of both stories of the house from front to back. The windows are large and the ceilings high, measuring about 12 feet. This design probably helped with cooling the house in the oppressive summer heat. The mansion was built from bricks that were made on site and then stuccoed and painted white as to look like marble. The front has a distinctive colonnade of 28 Doric columns to match the 28 oak trees. The roof was made of slate with four dormers, one on each side of the hipped roof. The Bon Sejour had a master gardener among its enslaved population of 200, and he was named Antoine, and he was brilliant with plants. He is credited with creating the paper shell pecan that can be cracked with the hand by using grafting techniques in 1846. These are today known as the centennial variety. The original grove was cleared to plant more sugarcane after the Civil War, and another original stand on the Anita plantation was washed away in a river break in 1990. Roman died of tuberculosis in 1848, and his wife Selena took over operations at the plantation. Selena loved spending money and wasn't very good at management, and the plantation came under heavy debt as she nearly bankrupted the estate. In 1859, her son Henry took over. But with the onslaught of the Civil War, the property lost its economic viability, probably because much of the workforce was free and left. The plantation was put up for auction in 1866 and sold to John Armstrong for $32,800. So basically it was sold at a huge loss. They said that she liked to go to New Orleans, just spend reams and reams of money and not even pay any attention to the plantation. Confederate War veteran Antonio Sobral was the next owner buying the property in 1881, and he tried to get the sugarcane business going again, but had little success. The Hardin family owned the property next, and they saved the oak trees from destruction by levee work supervised by the Army Corps of Engineers. Boy, are we glad they did, because I mean, those oak trees are massive and gorgeous. This was a massive property that had been established by a very wealthy man, and it seemed that no one could manage to upkeep the property. It fell into steady disrepair until 1925 when Andrew and Josephine Stewart bought the property. They hired architect Richard Koch to refurbish and modernize the house. The black and white marble floors were replaced with wood, and a kitchen would be built in the rear of the first floor. Extra dormers would be added to the roof as well. The Stewarts transformed the former sugar plantation into a cattle ranch. I thought that was interesting. And I'm wondering what the connection is here because the city is named... Cowtown. 
or, you know, dairy farm or whatever. And there was no talk of all of these cattle until now you have a cattle ranch. Sugar cane would return in the 1960s, however, and it is actually still grown there. Josephine planted a formal garden as well. She would continue on at the plantation after Andrew died. And when she passed in 1972, she left the property to the Oak Alley Foundation, which opened the property to the public. A garage was turned into a theater, and there's still a blacksmith shop on the property as well as the Stewart Graveyard. And recreated slave quarters were added to reflect the true history of the property. A slave database project has also been underway to identify all the slaves that had once been on the property. It's a tough job, and there's a lot, there's, I think, three different places that they've been trying to work through all that. But yeah, it'd be very difficult, especially since a lot of them took on the owner of the plantation's name and that kind of thing. The plantation has been used as a location in the films The Long Hot Summer, Primary Colors, and Interview with the Vampire. The series North and South also featured the plantation. Today, it's a restaurant and inn offering a tranquil retreat in the plantation country with award-winning food and tours. There are several cottages on the property for stays and weddings are regularly hosted. The Spirits Bar is aptly named not only for the drinks that are served, but this property is reputedly haunted by several spirits. Two of the people who love this home the most were Jacques Roman and Josephine Stewart. And they both seem to still be here in the afterlife. The apparition of Roman has been seen walking around the mansion's galleries by both employees and guests. He is described often in formal wear. He usually vanishes after being seen. Jacques has also been seen wearing gray clothing and riding boots. Josephine spent much of her later years in the lavender room, and her presence is felt in there often. She enjoyed roses and planted many on the grounds, so if she is nearby, the scent of roses is usually detected. Sometimes it is so strong as to be described as overwhelming. So I think that's kind of how you can tell it's definitely a phantom smell. She's also been seen looking out of the window of this room. And once an employee outside saw the light turn on in the lavender room, and a figure glided across the room and then looked out the window, and that figure seemed to resemble Josephine. Rocking chairs on the front porch have been known to move on their own as well. Tragedy was a real thing for the Roman family, and maybe it was karma for keeping slaves. Not only did Roman die of TB at a rather young age, they lost a daughter, Marie, after his passing at the age of 11. Another daughter named Louise developed gangrene after a fall in her wire hoop skirt and her leg had to be amputated. She was so traumatized by the experience that she left and became a nun. And then, of course, the family lost the property. So there is reason for negative residue here. The dining room is the scene of much activity. Silverware and candlesticks have been known to go flying. Jacques' wife is sometimes blamed for this, but the spirits of the former slaves are thought to be here as well. Ghost Hunters visited in Season 4 on Episode 19, so clearly the place embraces its haunted reputation. And for anybody who doesn't know, Ghost Hunters is now back under Jason Hawes, and they have it on Discovery+. Plus. They've got a brand new season going, and they brought over all of the old episodes, the ones that were over on A&E as well. So now that's under, if you have Discovery+, Plus. Ghost Hunters Archive is what it's called now. And you can watch all of the old seasons. Very cool. So I watched this one. It was pretty interesting to go back and watch, you know, kind of the... It's funny to think that things weren't real technical in the early 2000s. Right. We grew up in the 80s and 90s and everything. But I go back and look at it and go, God, TV is even so much more different now with the way they investigate and stuff. Definitely. But it also brought back great memories because I used to sit and watch it with my sister back in the day. As I did with my sons. I hope I say this woman's last name right. Sandra 
Schexnader was the house manager at that time, and she shared her own experiences. She saw a spirit she called the lady of the house on the stairs while she was seated at the piano. She had locked the house and was just waiting for the last tour to finish up. The ghost was wearing black. She walked to the staircase, stopped, and turned to look at Sandra. Sandra stood up to walk towards the ghost, and she disappeared. That's when you know it's not somebody on the tour. Another woman named Darlene Gravois was looking out the window, and she saw a shadow and then a woman wearing an antebellum costume outside. She thought it was maybe someone for the tour, but there was no one outside when she opened the door. This woman, too, was in black. The woman in black has also been seen in a large mirror in the hallway, and it is a really big mirror. Many people think that this ghost belongs to Selena, the wife of Jacques Roman. Selena is also seen sitting on a bed in an upstairs bedroom. Sometimes there's just an impression in the bed as if someone unseen is sitting there. Dee Bergeron was a tour guide in the house, and she told the guys that she witnessed a candle fall out of the candelabra on the table in the dining room. She put the candle back in the holder, and as she turned to leave the room, the candle came out of the holder and shot across the room, hitting a door. Sandra will not go into the attic. She says she usually makes it to the 15th step and just can't go any further because of an overwhelming presence that she feels. The employees also claim that one night after turning everything off and going outside, all the lights came on. They were too scared to go back inside, so drove away, and as they looked back, they saw that the house was dark once again. During the investigation, Jason caught a heat signature on the floor camera on an outside balcony. When Grant went out there, there was barely a heat signature. So it was really weird because he wanted to compare, you know, if there was somebody standing outside that window, what would it look like? And you could hardly even see the heat coming off of Grant. And this was like a really bright red spot. Steve felt a presence next to him while sitting at the dining table. Jason and Grant both felt a cold spot in one of the rooms as they were talking about other people now owning the property. And they wonder if it made the previous owners angry since these owners could do whatever they wanted. It almost kind of felt like they were doing a little bit of provoking, which usually they don't do. Right. A flashlight also turned on and off by itself. And I do want to say they wanted to see what was going on up in the attic because of what Sandra had said. And as Grant was going up it, and we've talked about this before when we've been in old homes, if something's uneven, it kind of gives you that lopsided feeling, which can kind of mess with your equilibrium and make you feel weird. He felt like the staircase was leaning to the right because he kind of felt like he was tipping a little bit when he was going up it. And then he said they counted up to the 15th step. And he said about the time you hit the 15th step, the air conditioning doesn't hit anymore and you have the heat from the attic coming down. So Ah. that's about where it's hitting. So he goes, you're having the temperature change right there where you're getting into the warm, muggy stuff and the stairs are kind of tipping. So that might be why she's getting kind of a weird feeling. Yeah, could definitely give you the impression of oppression. But as you're about to share, Kelly, some people have been in the attic and done investigations and gotten stuff. The Louisiana Spirits Investigations Group had also investigated the property and they captured several EVP. All of the activity they captured happened in the attic. Shadows were seen on the walls and someone saw Roman's face in a mirror for a brief moment. One of the investigators also had his arm grabbed rather roughly by something he couldn't see. He dropped his camera from the force. There was one experience in Cottage 4 where the group stayed. They got an early morning wake-up call when there was a loud bang.
These two plantations are beautiful and a reminder of a troubling and interesting past. Are there still spirits that remain from that past? Are the Laura and Oak Alley plantations haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, Kelly, we've been around that area. We're going to have to check out these plantations. Most definitely. I actually have only been to a couple of plantations, so I need to get to seeing more of those. And it was really interesting. One of the guys that joined Ghost Hunters, uh, Barry Fitzgerald, is with Ghost Hunters International. And I think he's in Ireland. And he's like, the guys are always talking about how they want to come over there and do castles and things like that. Well, he couldn't wait to come over here and do the plantation. So he was just so excited (laughs) to be at a plantation in the South because he'd never been there. Right, I bet. And Grant was like, yep, we always think the grass is greener somewhere else. That is true. We hope you check out the greener grass at our website. (laughs) (laughs) Or or the dirty, decrepit old graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Cemetery. (laughs) That's at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Had this story to share from Angie, who did an investigation at the May Stringer House here in Florida. And she was doing the Estes method with a spirit box. And she wrote, when I put them on, I immediately heard a female voice saying, hello, hello hello, multiple times. We were upstairs in the new section of the house. By new, I mean the part that was added on in the 1890s. I think I started repeating the questions that the ladies were asking for a few moments after that, only it was the same female voice that I heard saying the questions, not the very distinct voices of the other investigators. I even took the headphones off and looked around because I got a very specific area in the room I thought the voice was coming from and that I could hear the actual questions. I expected to see all three ladies huddled together near the door when I took the headphones off, but they were sitting exactly where they were sitting when we initially entered the room. I put the headphones back on and for a few seconds got just static. Then the lady started talking again. She said, don't say her name. Stop saying her name. And a few minutes later, she said, cheater, are you cheating? To which a male voice answered, shit. I thought I was being accused of cheating and took the headphones off at that point. I asked the ladies what questions they were asking when she said stop saying her name, and someone was asking about Jessie, the little three-year-old that passed away there. Her mother Marina died giving birth to her. As to the cheating statement, when I told Miss Bonnie about what I heard, she chuckled. Apparently Frank, Marina's second husband and the father of Jessie, was a well-known scoundrel and probably did cheat on her. My thoughts on that? I will never get married again if marital strife continues into the afterlife. This is my final report on this investigation. Though there were more experiences in the attic with Mr. Nasty, they were bizarre and perverse, and there's simply no way to put them into words. Well, thanks for sharing that, Angie. I want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. And this episode was brought to you by Surfshark. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.
1894 as Louina. Louina? <laughs> oh, my word. We're going to call Louisiana Louina now. <laughs> this culture was very different from the white Anglo Saxon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no one knows for sure who planted the huge 100 acre old. 100 acre? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the 100 acre woods of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I guess Two of the people who love this home the most were Jacques Roman, Romain, Romain, 